independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, and thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and you are listening to the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Benjamin Jaffe. Benjamin Jaffe spent over 10 years as half of the Americana duo Honey Honey, making acclaimed records and crisscrossing the country playing catchy and memorable songs for dedicated fans. But every band has a life cycle, and after more than a decade of steady grinding, Honey Honey's indefinite hiatus left Jaffe in the challenging position of having not been the primary singer in his former outfit. But the lemonade in this situation is that Jaffe is an incredibly gifted singer, songwriter, and performer in his own right, and shedding the conventions and expectations of the band meant that he was standing at the threshold of a musical tabula rasa. Jaffe took the ball and ran with it, and his newfound freedom to explore any and all disparate influences is evident on his solo debut album, Oh Wild Ocean of Love. With Jaffe playing nearly all the instruments himself, smooth crooning rubs up against aggressive electric guitars, pithy and clever lyrics delve confidently into subjects familiar to fans of the best of American songwriters, and a rich sonic palette may surprise fans more accustomed to hearing an Americana stomp out of Jaffe and company. Benjamin Jaffe's new solo direction places him in the company of Father John Misty's wry observations, Jeff Buckley's emotive vocal prowess, and Rufus Wainwright's compositional bona fides. Welcome to Independence Day, Benjamin Jaffe. How's it going, Ben? It's going great. Thanks for having me, It's good Joe. to see you. It's great to see you, too. I bump into you from time to time around town at uh-huh. shows, etc., such as the music community of Los Angeles. And it's nice to do that. It's, it's nice because LA is very spread out. So it's nice to bump into people. There's so many musicians here. So many wonderful musicians. Yeah. You could be like standing in line at Ralph's and like, oh, hey, that's the dude from Filter or, or yeah. what have you, you know? And he's bagging your groceries. Yeah. It could be <laughs> also true. I, that's honest work. It is honest work. I have nothing against uh, an honest day's pay for an honest day's labor. Yep. Uh, solo musician these days. You make up one half of Honey Honey. I do, but that band, and who's to say what the future brings, but right. we had about a 12-year run, right. and there are no plans for the future right. to, to collaborate more. So though it is totally true that I'm half of that band, uh, that it's not, we're not an active unit. Right. Well, the reason I bring it up is that you were on the show once before. Right, right. right. Low these, oh, I've got it written down here. 2012, somewhere. I just read 2012, that. 2012, episode 37. We're over 200 now. Yeah. So it's been a while since we sat in a room together and hung out. So, but thank you for taking the time, man. I appreciate oh, it so very course. much. So, uh, at record, you know, not so long ago, we were just talking about this a minute ago before we were starting the tape rolling. Uh, in my mind's eye, you just released that record like six months ago, which is your first solo record, and it's called I keep it's, it's called you know, Oh. I can, it's I can never remember the name of this record. <laughs> oh, comma Wild Ocean of Love. Not a good sign, Branders out there. <laughs> uh, but uh, so like, in my mind's eye, that's like your new record. But you've got new new songs. You're going to play some new new songs in just a little bit. Yep, I got I got one new new for you. Okay, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, when when your band goes on hiatus, because twelve years is a long time to be involved in a band. Yeah. Like when you're jumping into that ether, like what's the first thought that goes into your mind? Like if you because you guys had a successful run at this, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, there's some there's some sheer panic, right? 
that uh, infiltrates wild freedom. You know, it's it was a crazy, and it continues to be kind of a crazy process because it's like the. Um, I mean, you're kind of asking about what was it like to transition from that to what I'm doing now, right? But um, and it's been, I mean, a challenge and and a wonderful one, uh, but a challenge just the same. You know, that was what my whole life was built around, right? So it's kind of like, oh, we got this garden out front, and ooh, tomatoes are coming in nice. Oh God, a blight, and and now. There is a garden in the back too, but I haven't really tended her right. for for a long time. So it's just getting back in and really kind of. You were telling me maybe going through a similar thing. It was an important time to reevaluate what to keep going with the garden metaphor. Okay, what seeds are we planting right. here? You know, and that's a nice opportunity. And I think most people, this is a pretty relatable thing when your back's up against the wall. Um, you can make some honest decisions, or at least you will make the decisions that maybe you've been putting off for a long time. Right. So, so anyway, it, it was nice to kind of reinvest. What do I, who am I, what do I want to do? What, how are we going to do it? Let's do it. Yeah. And for you, I remember this from the origin story from before, way back in episode 37, which I hope people go back and listen. Mm-hmm. Great tunes on there. I'd be terrified to listen to that. <laughs> maybe we'll do that before you bail out of here today. The, uh... What was I going to say about that? The uh, the origin story, because like, you were a musician before that band. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you were a musician before that band, but like you were kind of doing your thing around town. Oh, but we, I mean, we met in our very early 20s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess we, whoa, we met 14 years ago. Wow. So 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, so there wasn't a lot of time in my life outside of living with my family that I wasn't how long had you, because you met in L.A., right? Yeah. How long had you been here before you met Suzanne? Two years. It's that Santo we're talking about yep. here. Also, an episode, she did an episode of our show. I don't know the number on that, but uh-huh. a couple years back, if you go back on the website, you'll find that. Right. So I'm um, so how long you said? Two months? Three, no, two years. Two years. So okay, I moved so here when were, I was about 18. Yeah. You know, kind of kerfuffled around and then entered this phase, maybe a lot of people do it when they're musicians living here. I was in like seven bands right. at once, just kind of working, 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 trying to get it going. Um, and she, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and that became one of the seven, and then the other one started to drop off. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because we got, we were really lucky, and a, a wonderful thing happened with the momentum right. that came from our partnership. Yeah. I mean, so many musicians I know have a very similar story. It's like you're playing in a dozen bands, you're taking every, you say yes a lot, yep. right? That's the big See, thing. I just did it. It's a, exactly. It's, it's, ingrained. A, it's, a, it's a luxury to say no, mm-hmm. right? Especially when you're a young person starting out in any career. Well, luxury or not, it, it takes a lot of strength and bravery also. And, and it can be difficult. Sometimes that doesn't come naturally. It didn't really come naturally to me to be like, mm, no, that's not yeah. what I want to do, actually. Yeah. You know, I was very much, yes, I'll do whatever you say, yeah. daddy. so how did you apply the yes versus no to your solo thing like once you're you're out of the nest right you've got you know you've had some success people know who you are and now you you were you're not alluding to this before like what are you gonna be yeah you know you're 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 established as an artist people know who you Mm -hmm. are people come to your shows uh people have purchased records that your name's been on you've and but now you've got to make your own thing and it's not it's an opportunity to create like you said create your own garden with the seeds you want and like Mm -hmm. align the rows with whatever point on the compass you want it like it's tabula rasa yep you know what i mean yeah a little bit for sure 
You know, I mean, almost tabula rasa because you're. Well, yes and no because I didn't. I I did have a body of work I could at least point to. The difference between which wasn't a hugely well. I mean, it's been a bit, bit understandably a stark difference between my uh, my time after Honey Honey and Suzanne's is that as the singer and whatever she's a charming, incredibly talented person. Um, the Honey Honey fan base could follow her more easily. Mm-hmm. It made sense. That's the same voice as on Honey right. Honey. She sang with, most of the lead vocals, as I recall. She sang all the lead vocals. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for myself, Tabula Rasa in the sense that I am starting, I'm putting myself out there in a way that hasn't been done yet for me, but it's not like I, hopefully, you know, I didn't, it's not like I didn't learn a ton yeah. from my time with that band and meet a lot of people and, you know, so it wasn't starting over, but it was definitely starting in a, a very different place than what I was used to. Like there, I, as I was thinking, listening to you talk here, I was trying to like find a parallel example of a band in the music world. And the closest one I thought of was Uncle Tupelo. Okay. And they split up because Jeff Tweedy right. and Jay Farrar came out of Uncle Tupelo. But mm-hmm. Jeff Tweedy had, I'm sorry, Jay Farrar had sung to that point most of the lead vocals. And later on, Tweedy started to sing more and more. So like they both blew up, but they both got record contracts. They both are now, both those bands have been active since that time. Right. So, but you do, it's a great opportunity. The positive side, you know, after, once you get past the terror part mm-hmm. is that you can create whatever you want. Yeah. It was really and continues to be, I, I think about it all. And maybe it's just because my entire life, so much of my life has been around music, thinking about right. music, um, and playing it, it, I just think about it as far as resonance, you know, and this is, the music that I make now is just a little more aligned with who I am. It's a lot more aligned with who I am, and I think that's where resonance comes from. Yeah, but once you, it's funny, people outside the music business may not entirely understand this concept or relate to what I'm about to say, but... You were talking before about playing in seven bands, and I've certainly played in my share over the years, and each one kind of takes on its own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, stylistically, they might be related. It's the same, you know, it's you're a constant through all those. But some of those styles may not be your wheelhouse style or something that you're... But the style that grew the most, the fastest, might not be the one that was closest to your heart. Sure. It just is the one that caught fire. It's the, if I may mix the metaphor, jump to a different metaphor. It's uh-huh. like it's like Cards that's fire. that's yeah. the fire that started. So right. we got to go that way because uh-huh. someone's paying us to go that way, right. and we're in a van <laughs> that way, and we get yeah. a record deal that way, yeah. and we have thousands of fans that way, or uh-huh. what that you know. The, so you go that direction, yeah. um, and it doesn't mean you don't like it. You were in the band, yeah, you know? and it never felt like it wasn't my thing. It was just my thing with mixed up with her right. thing, right? Well, that's and, what I mean, and that's what happened. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to give the impression that it's like a horrible thing that anybody right, would right, chose right. to do that because you were playing in it. You must have liked, and I don't even. Uh-huh. I'm talking in absentia here of that specific band. But sure. once you're going in that direction, that you get success, and you go that way, that may have not have been of those seven the one that was closest to what you would have done left to your own devices. I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. So you went that way, you go that way, and now you've got this like, okay, now I'm. I'm kind of unencumbered to do what I do what I please. Yeah, to go my own way. Let's exactly exact Mundo. Let's hear what that sounds like. Ben Jaffe is my guest on Independence Day this week. Thank you ever so much for listening. It means a lot. There's a lot of competition for your entertainment dollar these days. Ooh. 
more than ever before. So it means a lot that you took the time to listen to this. And I hope you stick around. There's some really, really great live songs coming up. And But first, let's hear a track from his most recent record. We're going to hear a new song in a little bit. He's going to play a live version of that. But this is the song Dominator, and the record is Oh, Wild Ocean of Love, Ben Jaffe on Independence Day. Let's hear this. Don't make that face around me or let down that guard, honey. Can be cold What I am to you Or what I will do Cause I won't Fade to The background No, I won't back down Cause what I am Is a dominator Dominator That's Ben Jaffe on Independence Day. I am Joe Armstrong. Ben, man, thank you for taking the time. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Great I'm, song. 
Great record. Gracias. On vinyl. And people can pick it up, uh, all the vinyl places, uh, Amazon, etc. Ben Jaffe Music is the website, but you're really active on Instagram, I know. Pronounce your Instagram handle like you would pronounce oh, it. Oh, Beej El Deej. That's what I say, Beej El Deej. Yeah, people say Beej El which Yeah, well, that's what too. I was wondering. Yeah, that's fine. B-E-E-J-E-L-D-E-E-G. Not yeah. th- making it simple on people that's is what fine. you're doing. <laughs> you know what? Uh, clear communication hasn't always been an easy thing. You're an artist, man. For me. <laughs> Oh, Don't botch me in, man. Well, yeah, what a lame excuse. Uh, but you're also that same thing on Twitter. Uh, so if people want to, yeah, find but I you. don't really um, use Twitter. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a love hate. I'm not even sure I have a love hate relationship with Twitter. I have kind of a, oh yeah, I guess I should tweet relationship with Twitter. Right. There's so many. I do have an Instagram account, in depth day. Same for the show. Uh-huh. Uh, it's kind of morphed into just my whole life in there. It's not just this show it started out as just this show but yeah because i don't care to mo- like monitor 16 different instagram accounts well, that's what it is or the, even the account the platforms i have time brain space for one yeah maybe you know and so twitter sorry you got thrown under the bus you know and like so many this is a conversation i'm having a lot these days because i have a lot of friends who are kind of like checking out of facebook or checking out of the internet entirely or checking you know just like they just don't want to be they don't want to be like wrapped up in that whole thing and i understand that i I respect it um but like anything that's else that's very powerful you can use its power for evil or for good and it connects me with people that i wouldn't see otherwise yeah all those people from high school that i never would have seen again like now i know what their kids names are now Uh i know where you know (laughs) i know all kinds of things about that yeah it's wonderful it's just forces you up against the reality of your self-control <laughs> pretty much you know and that's that's pretty tough to handle and, and it is programmed to exploit you but you know it's, uh, that's fine it, yeah we, we can understand that we have the intelligence to yeah. understand that and you know you you wield its tool right you know are we or are we not sentient beings i guess is yeah, the yeah, question yeah, yeah. do you have the ability to put the damn thing down you know, sure. And I, I find that like, like I do little exercises. I'd be curious to know if you do stuff like this. Like I'll be in line at the at the bank or remember banks, or the grocery store or wherever. Or my girlfriend leaves the room. It's like <laughs> your instinct is to grab the phone. Sure. Ooh, put do 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 do. But I've been so doing alone. These, yeah, I've been doing these little exercises where I'm just not going to do that. Like I consciously say, or that's super healthy. You know, or if I'm. Because I'm the dude that talks to next to you, talks to you if you're next to me in line. Mm-hmm. For, I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I just like people and I like talking <laughs> to people. So there it is. Uh, and I think it's healthier, especially for creative people. You need, I think boredom is essential. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, everybody, you know, words, words, words. But I I wouldn't say boredom, but I, you need free, you need an open prairie to prance around yeah. on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm using boredom uh, in a non-pejorative sense here. Sure. I'm saying that, you know, you need that empty space to fill. Absolutely. If it's full, you can't put anything else in there. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the, the most recent record, uh, the one we just played the song from a few, few minutes oh, ago. Oh, Wild Ocean of Love. That's the one. Thank you. I'm, every time I'm going to ask you to do that. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why that. I can't get that out of my head, but... Uh, and I, I apologize for that. No, that's like this guy. I see him all around town. I saw him this morning uh, for years. I know who he is, but I can't remember his name ever. And that's on me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's just certain little gaps. I will bear the yoke of not remembering the name of your record forevermore. Okay. It's a heavy burden. Uh, but uh, you played a lot of the instruments yourself? I uh, played all of them, except on there's one song called Susan the Cat, um, which I'm going to play later. Uh 
and w- that was the only one that was recut in the initial session for the record. It went for it, didn't happen, um, and I recut it with my buddy Drew, who's playing with me today, and uh, this guy Eric Curtis playing bass. So that's the only other song with other musicians, except for a vocalist, Sonia Kitchell, okay. sang on some of the songs. So the question, the first question <coughs> I have is, like, why do that? Is it an economic consideration? Is it like the John Bryan, Lenny Kravitz thing where it was something, an exercise that you wanted to do? Was it more convenient? Was it an artistic choice? Like what, what was it? Well, I'll be honest. I, 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 some ups to Suze, Suzanne on this here. She had made this record um, at, at kind of nearish the tail end of the Honey Honey thing. And I was like, this is really happening. I need to do something. Um, I need to make a record as well, and I'd made records before, but they'd never, I'd never put them out. And actually, the first solo record I made kind of turned into the first Honey Honey record. Like a lot of the songs from that wound up as Honey Honey songs. Um, but that was that that was ten years before I made this record, so uh-huh. it was just like wasn't at the forefront of my mind. Um, and it was, I, I think everybody to a certain degree operates well under confinement. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you've created this prison for me right now to perform for you <laughs> and your fan base. That's the same. I'm kidding. Um, Both my fans are listening very intently <laughs> right now, Ben. <laughs> um, hello, Joe's family. Um, but uh, they're not listening. <laughs> Go on. The, Go on. The, the point is. Um, I knew uh, I wanted to work with my friend Howard Feibush, who's an incredible producer, just like a brilliant dude. Um, has a studio, is really someone who's capable of using the studio to uh, in a very expressive way, you know. Um, and I knew that I had this one week that I was going to do it, so I just wanted to see what happens when I get in there. What's the music that's made when I smush me with those things? And I didn't really have time or thought. I wanted to do something on my own, you know? So yeah. what happens when I do all this, this stuff? Yeah. So that choice was kind of practical, kind of artistic, kind of a combination of things. There's, it there's like. definitely some curiosity there, you know? Because yeah. that's the way I used to work a lot. So I know, obviously, vocals, guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen videos of you playing some keyboard instruments. But what other, you know, obviously drums, if there's drums on the drums, record. Yeah, so yeah. Like, what else did you end up playing? That's it. Drums. Okay. Drums, bass, guitar, keyboards. Okay. So um, you're not getting like two out. I'm not playing like a saxophone or anything. <laughs> you know. I I've wish. seen Van Morrison play the saxophone, and with all, I love Van Morrison, uh, but I don't, I don't really need him to play the saxophone. Yeah, he doesn't have to do that. Just sing, man. Right. <laughs> you're, you're Van Morrison, dude. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, uh, w- but which of those instruments was your your first? Like, what did you did you the drums start with? Drums, really? Yeah. Drums are what I, I my first instrument was violin when I was a kid, like a real little kid. Um, And then that didn't totally, you know, light my fire. But the drums did. Starting when I was maybe 11, I started playing the drums. And and that was the thing that I kind of music freaked on. Um, You know, because I I was super into music guy, music person, culture when I was a kid. And, you know, read Modern Drummer magazine. And you just read about these incredible players and the lifestyle that they had, especially when they were teenagers, honestly, because we were talking earlier, that is that's the most fertile right. soil to build these technical skills. You know, because you have the time and you have the elasticity. Right. You know what I mean? So you put in eight hours a day when you're fourteen, you're gonna shred. You might play stupid stuff, but you're gonna have wild capabilities. And so that was the first 
instrument where I was like, oh, I want to devote huge amounts of time to this with the, with the drums. So I did that. I never got to. I always dream. It's so it's so weird how like quantitative it got. But I always dreamed of playing eight hours a day. I was like, that means oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a great. And I never made it that. I could never do that. That's maybe. a lot. That, that's crazy. But it's also um, I can only imagine what that would do to you, to me, to players if you can do it in a healthy way. When I was at Berkeley College of Music, I mean, right. not Berkeley um, Liberal Bastion uh-huh. up in Bay Area. Uh, there were certain cats, and that's what you say when you went to Berkeley, there are always cats, certain cats cool word. who would play, you know, eight hours a day. Like, they'd go to their classes. I mean, and they, they were, <laughs> it, it would be unfair to say they were socially maladjusted, but I'm, I, they were socially maladjusted. I mean, how could you not be? You know? Sorry. And there were kids, you know, all the, all the stories you've ever heard about kids who you'd drop a piece of music in front of them. They'd play it down, and then you'd flip it upside down, and they'd play it down backwards. Like yep. they could do that. They were machines. Yeah. But like when it came to writing songs, you didn't call those kids, right? Because they had no idea. Like they, I, and I'm generalizing here a little bit, but like they, that was not the kid for that. Like, well, yeah, it's no guarantee of, of anything, you know. But but it is if applied in the right way. Like I've I've been doing some other work. Um, I haven't been playing a lot of guitar, you know. And then the next ten days, um, I'm I'm gonna try and work myself up to four hours a day. You know, if I can get there, I know I'll be super comfy playing in front of other people, really expressing yeah. myself. You know what I mean? Left to your own devices, how much do you play a day? Well, it depends on what I'm. What do you mean, my own devices? Like, like your normal. Well, I mean, who knows what normal life is for anyone, especially a musician, right? But, like. Your normal like work a day life, like you don't have a gig that night, or that's Saturday. Uh-huh. Uh You, you're medium busy, you know. Like, are you a dude who picks up the guitar like while you're watching TV and like just kind of fiddles around with finger exercises? Yeah, I mean, or you... I, I don't believe. I was talking about this the other day, actually. I don't believe in that. Like, because I, I have friends, real kind of shreddy type friends, who will practice while they're watching TV or something, and and I don't I don't think that's good. Are, are healthy to do because that's just strengthening this thing that we're all going to have to fight if you really want to make music which is intentionality you know what mm-hmm. I mean You, the point is to be intentional or the, the point whatever I don't know what I'm talking about but intention <laughs> intention is how you make music you have to mean what you're playing or feel what you're playing or these things so if you're programming yourself to just kind of run your fingers around while you're watching the wire classic tv show that i haven't seen yet yeah reference to our earlier conversation uh anyway i'm kind of going on a tangent joe no, no, sorry this whole, you know what this show could be called music tangents because that's kind of what this is right okay. so go with it run with it young man go right fly the bird <laughs> but the the point the point is if um, it depends, if I'm preparing to perform, I try and work up. You know, I, I think more than four hours a day. There's not time in my life mm-hmm. now. I I haven't been able to get to four. Hours. It's been two days, and I'm getting around two and a, two and a half hours a day. But by the time I'm doing it, I'll be doing four. Yeah. Um, and and that's where I start to really feel like I can say speak guitar. Yeah. You know. Um. Uh, yeah, so that but but a normal day you're always everything. You gave me some of your beer, so I'm really kind of whacking out now. Um, so I'm blaming you for for the way I'm communicating. But 
it kind of fractals out and you start to there's there's a thousand questions in every question right and there i am in a day and i i want to devote time to uh-huh. writing songs and developing these things and communicating with people and blah 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 so it it all feels like part of the same yeah thing eventually i feel like i love the securitist answer by the way but the uh <laughs> it feels as if for, for me personally like I've I, I've got these like I call them greeting card philosophies. Like I try to distill down these things that I think about for days or weeks or years or hours into like what's the what's the like most elemental building block of what I'm trying to get at in terms of any endeavor. I'll tell you, do it, Joe. Right. So these greeting card philosophies, like my greeting card, like one of the newer ones for me, which is sad to say that it's newer, is that if someone is paying money to see you perform. Mm-hmm. Say you're a plumber. If someone's paying you money to fix their plumbing, you damn well better do a good job at it. Mm -hmm. If someone is leaving their house, putting on clothes, getting a babysitter, going to a venue, paying for parking, paying money to see you play a show, you owe them something, right? It's easy, I think, as musicians to like rest on the laurels of our talent and just go and do it. And be like, because you know, you might be pretty good without practicing. Sure. You know, uh, a lot of us are or might be. But that's not. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's that. enough. I'm sorry. I don't. It doesn't matter. I was going to say. I don't think. I don't think there's very many. I think those people are incredibly rare. Yeah. That that can. It just whatever. That's a, it just too much of a exudes out of them. But the uh, earning that right and like yep. being very cognizant and mentally aware of that concept mm-hmm. that someone has left their house and come into the city for example and paid and plopped down money and bought a ticket in advance and done all these things like you like and it, it, it's it i don't mean this to be a scary thing but we owe them something you owe them, you all you give them well, you the best a, version of you you can give them yeah you have a job and you're going to do your a good job or not right you know it's like any other job yeah um and kudos to you for like knowing that just, just, just spending the time, but like you said a few minutes ago, committing to sitting down, thanks, playing hours a day, like those, those people are gonna feel that. I think. I think it's hard to be a musician for a long period of time and not adopt a working class mentality. Yeah, you know, because it, it's a lot of work. It's, it's. There's a lot of competition, which is healthy. Yeah, and there's a lot of work that has to be put in to do a good job it's it's not i always it's funny how the music industry especially uses artists in a very lax way and it creates like my band we we were really young when we got signed and kind of got pulled into that part of the music industry and it's a strange it's a really strange world yeah you know and the idea that like things like artistry um, aren't not that they need to be taught by the industry of it, and that's the last place that you would look to, I guess, to right. teach that stuff. But w- what is sold in that community is just a different set of skills than than what you actually have to develop to do the job. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I music is interesting to me because it's a combination of a craft and a science and an art. And a, you know, it's a it's a there's a physical aspect to it. No matter what instrument you play, or even your voice, there's a very physical aspect to that as well. Mm-hmm. And you, it, these are muscles, just like an athlete, yep. except they're doing very precise 
small movements, right? And there's a difference, like the difference between David Gilmore and all his imitators, you know, Gilmore's not reinventing the wheel when it comes to the way he plays. But I just watched the DVD the other night. We threw it on for whatever reason. Like no one plays like that guy. Right. No one. It's the same notes that everyone else has, the same 12 notes everyone else has. And something about the way he does it is magical. Yeah. You know, it's a combination of work and talent and, and all those things. Yeah, you can hear you can hear the work, you can hear the talent, but you can hear the courage and the conflict and all these yeah. things that actually are invested in the music. One of my favorite quotes, you are talking about Ravel earlier. Ravel has a string quartet, one single string quartet. Maurice Ravel is a French composer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was a imp- imp- Impressionist. So this is turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, right? He's doing his thing. Um, and he has one string quartet. He did it when he was 28 years old. Um, and it's the most vibrant piece of music that exists. I, whatever, stupid thing to say, but it's an incredible piece of music. It's just like oozing with life. You know what I mean? Um, and he has this quote that blew my mind because people are talking about his writing process. And he's like, I just try to make it, I just try to make it, I don't know what it's. <laughs> you do your French accent. Yeah, huh? I don't know. Um, I just try to make it uh, technically perfect. And I was oh, like, wow. what? You know, because you listen to music and you think he'd be some like bleeding, yeah, wrist yeah, romantic. Yeah. Um, but he's not. And what what it means to me is that all that stuff, he's just focused on doing his job. And who he is just comes through in the music. When you do right. your job, who you are comes out. You don't have to try to be alive. You just have to be alive. Right. You know? Anyway, I, I love that. Okay, that sounds like a perfect time to have you play a song. Let's segue straight from Ravel to you playing one of your songs. And this, if I'm correct, this is a new, new song, not a song that you will find on the record. This that new, new. Okay, and how long? Just ballpark. Like, are you working on a new record? Are you kind of thinking about it? Well, this is a long answer, so I don't know if you want to hear it now. You stop. All right, me. save it. Let's play okay. the song. We'll talk about it afterwards. Great. Okay, so this is Ben Jaffe. The song is Sense of Wonder. It's a brand new song. The next song he will play will be from his most recent record. And after that, we're going to kind of an interesting surprise for you. We have a classical piece coming up. So, Sense of Wonder, Ben Jaffe on Independence Day. Let's hear this. I racking groceries up on EBT And I slept through church on Sundays Scraped the hash from ashtrays I was fashioned from the class Conducting violence on TV But it soothes me It moved me And losing it's just inevitable, yeah, yeah. Well, the sweet smell of unleaded Sandy's shirt was shredded He'd light the match and let it fall down on the gasoline And we'd bite down to the mall I've been clean these days No lie Cause it soothes me Oh, it moves me 
He's at the corner, dressed up like a corner. He fills up the Toyota to the tailgate brim. With those racks of dirty, packed in stacks and spurting out into my mouth to drown the doubt that lies within and it moves. Another song by Ben Jaffe, and on pedal steel guitar on that song, Drew Taubenfeld, does he pronounce his last name? It is. Uh, very talented guy. As Wonderful you dude. Obviously here, friend of yours. Wonderful Drew. It's obviously that you guys have a simpatico. Yeah, we play together a lot. Um, we actually met because he was subbing on a Honey Honey gig 10 years oh, ago. Oh, wow. 2010, we had this residency at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles, mm. um, which was a really exciting time. That was like... You know, one of those moments where you really see momentum building, like week, yeah, week yeah. by week, you know? So that was really cool. And he came in and played with us and kind of blew my mind with his musical memory. Mm -hmm. It was like kind of freakish. It still is. You know, he, he, he got the call the day before, learned our entire record, um, and was playing it off sheet the yeah. next day. You know, and I was just like, who this guy? Yeah, yeah. Um. And we just, you know, I love Drew, and we we become really good friends, and we play all the time. You know, it's just nice. We were talking about it earlier. We're, we're both Jewy dudes, so that's why I'm going to say what I'm about to say. But there's this Howard who actually produced the record, uh, A Wild Ocean of Love, that you're talking about. He's um, He grew up Orthodox Jewish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and he taught me this term. I think me either. He was going to go to Yeshiva, which is a Torah study academy that, I don't need to define that. Um, but there's this term, Havruta, which mm -hmm. is like a basically a study buddy. You know what I mean? It's like... Your you're, wingman. Yeah, your study bro. So Drew is like my L.A. Havruta. Yeah. Very cool. When I Weird side note, when I was working at Manny's Music in New York City all those years ago, which was this legendary music store where Jimi Hendrix used to shop, Manny Goldrich, like the patriarch of that whole clan, used to close the store after hours and let Jimmy come in and just play whatever because right. he couldn't shop. You know, he'd get mauled. Oh, yeah. And, other, and then he would do that for other musicians. So it became this, like, musician's hang. And I was there very late in the game. Like, they were kind of on the downfall when I was there. But it was still pretty cool. I a, used to love going there when I was a kid. There's a lot so of history there. 42nd Street. Yep, yep, 42nd Street. And I used to walk to work, which was delightful. Ah, ah. Lived in Hell's Kitchen at the time. But our main... Now you don't even have to walk to work. Oh, good Lord. It's, you wake <laughs> up at work. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. The uh, Our main competitor was B&H audio the video camera, camera shop yeah. they were selling like music that's orthodox gear. juice that's what i was getting at yeah. is like those guys you always knew when they were coming into case our joint uh -huh. because these ascetic <laughs> jews would come rolling in with the the, the things i can't I, yes yeah, yeah the, the hair things and the, the the whole suit and whatever 
And, you know, I had known some Jewish people growing up and I, I, I'm equal opportunity. I love everybody. So it doesn't matter to me, but that's how we always knew they were casing us to try to get what our prices were right. so they could then go back and undersell us so at their, funny. at their shop down the road. B&H, I, I was there like probably a year or two ago. They have this insane system, like this entire autumn, like com- seems completely unnecessary system throughout their whole huge warehouse size store where they'll send products on this like Rube Goldberg conveyor belt yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, old school man. What's old school Manhattan? Yeah, you know, it's like the old wooden um, Macy's has wooden escalators. Oh my god, wooden, wooden. Think about that for a second. Now, I haven't been there in a while. Maybe they've changed them, but I yeah. doubt it. Yeah, like it was cool. There's some dude who has to like take a draw knife and like uh, make man. a new thing when he had to fix stuff. Anyway, now we're way off the topic. Anyway, great song, man. Hey, thank you. Thank you for playing. Uh, let's talk about, we've kind of talked about, you know, kind of jumping out of the honey, honey nest into your solo career. And, yep. uh, and it's interesting. It's fascinating to me that I always study my artists before they come on to like get a, get a feel for what you're about as your own dude. I knew you playing with honey, honey, you know, heard you, that you sang great background vocals, played various, very facile guitar parts, harmonized very well uh-huh. with Ms. Santo. Uh, it's cool to see what your thing is. Thanks. How it's different from that, how it is its own thing, you know, uh, compare or contrast, compare or contrast. But like set aside that now that we're moving on into you, your solo work. Uh it's it's poppier, I mm. think. It's uh indier okay. in a way, from my perspective. But the closest descriptor I came up with was it reminds me of where is it on my sheet here? I wrote it down. It's like John Paul White acting like Josh Tillman. Okay. <laughs> He's the guy from Father John Misty. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. the music is kind of clever like mm-hmm. Father John Misty is. There's a sense of whimsy to what you do in your lyrics and in your persona. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very like, musically strong and solid. So like, it's not just some dude writing dopey high school party songs to get, the, to get the girls. Like It's legit on top of that. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting cocktail. Uh, and I dig it. I'm glad. Um, but when you went to... You said that before your songs that you had written for what was going to be your first album wound up getting rolled into the Honey Honey thing. Now that you're writing, because you wrote with Suzanne, right, on a lot of those things? Yeah, totally. So the first record um, was a lot of my songs. The the kind of process of by the third record ended up pretty straight down the middle. Okay. Um, As far as we would write songs separately and together, um, and then... Whatever songs we thought were the best, but uh, that'd be the records. Okay. Um, and yeah, by the, by the third one, it was pretty much half the ben, process. Half Suze. Yeah. Right, but now, you know, you are doing this completely on your own. Like we talked a little bit before about the terror of like jumping out of mm-hmm. the nest. Like, is it? <laughs> but like, is it? It has to be liberating as well. Oh yeah. To kind of you know do your thing. It's, it's, I'm sure it's also kind of weird, you know, when you're thinking about someone else singing your songs as opposed to you singing your songs. You have a very you're, you have been gifted with a very good voice. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, it, it, I mean, that was it's and it's so <laughs> honestly, it's like really makes me feel good to hear that, and it's um, because for a, a long time throughout uh, the honey honey process, there was two things happening. One, I was you know this as a singer too it it's it's so psychologically linked so any issues you have as a dude or a lady or a non-binary um are going to express themselves in your voice right you know um it's so, the most personal of all the instruments oh yeah you it's know? the only one that's up in you um so 
so I had my challenges as a singer then, but I was also very actively discouraged from singing. Um, so in the last couple of years, it's been really wonderful and nice because I put in a lot of work, you know, on myself and my voice. Um, but to have people responding to my singing because it was always always something that people that that was a real challenge for me. Yeah. You know, well, under, understandably, I mean, Suzanne's a great singer too. Incredible, very different singer than you. Yep. Uh, you know, she. When I think of her, I think of like Torch and Twang. You know, what, I th- the playlist. Uh, no, just a, like that's a like a musical thing. Okay. Like an idiom like okay. the Torch and Twang songs, but it's like she kind of mixes. I think I, I I just revisited what I wrote about Honey Honey when we did your episode episode uh-huh. thirty seven, which people should go back and listen yeah. to, and you yourself included, is. Uh, like there's something about Edith Piaf, like the way oh, she the way she vocalizes and moves around, very powerful, but yet kind of modern in that like R and B kind of thing that she mixes into the alt country thing. It was like a weird but cool weird cocktail, yeah. Right, and your voice to me comes out of like the Jeff Buckley, Rufus Wainwright. Um, you're a tenor, yeah, like tenor tenor, you know, yeah, which is true. great for harmonizing because you can harmonize with everybody. You can always be above them, yeah. Um, uh, you know, which, which makes me think, like, you know, who are, like, hearing your voice, you establish your voice, both artistically and literally, who are the singers that made you want to sing? Like, uh, you mentioned Jeff Buckley once before. Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson. Marvin Gaye. Um, Elton John. Chet Baker. Mm-hmm. Tom York. Oh, yeah. I got to meet Tom York. You did? Not, not that long ago. I went to a screening. He did that um, soundtrack for Susperia. Yeah, yeah. And they did a talk with, they showed the movie, and then afterwards it was him being interviewed by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, cool. who wasn't involved with the movie, but cool guy yeah, to have their interview. Yeah. I know. And afterwards, the weirdest thing of all this, and the detail I've been like, dying to share, it's the first time Tom York's come up in a while on the show, but uh, he was drinking what appeared to be a margarita, okay. which doesn't, doesn't seem, seem like, like a Tom very York Tom drink. York <laughs> type of drink. Like I don't uh, know what I had imagined in my head that he would be drinking, but it was not. Yeah. It was not like a salted <laughs> rim margarita. Capri Sun. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, cool to meet him. He was a cool guy. He was very affable. Again, I expected. I, I didn't. Want, I didn't expect him to be like a morose dude. Right. But he was like friendly and cool. And yeah, man, I don't think you make music that 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 vibrant. Yeah. You know, without having a real curiosity. Yeah. About you, you know? I think it's more just like the mystique amount around Radiohead For is sure. so. I was going to say a really bad word. Is so serious. Mm-hmm. Because it is like, like, totally. like Radiohead fans and my best friend included. Like they are Radiohead fans, capital R, capital A, capital D, capital yeah, I, capital you, you, O, on and on and on. Like that's very serious. Yeah, you know, and it's awesome, and I love it. You know, yeah. but I don't know if I'm all caps serious. I feel you. But it was cool to see him. Anyway, uh, we're, we're off topic again. No, no, no. This we're is talking the about topic. like you establishing your voice as a, as like a writer and a singer, right? You know, like was which one was your bigger fear? Was it writing or singing? No, because writing uh, of of the things of the elements of music, uh, and you know, making a career out of such, writing was the one that, that came most naturally to me. I grew up in like a very word household and all that kind of stuff. What so was your father's profession? He's uh, he still works. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, Joe's shaking his head in surprise because I just told him my dad's ninety ninety eight years old. Yeah. He's still working. He yeah, must he, love what he does. Then he, of course. Um, and right now he mostly edits manuscripts. Um, but he was a 
editor, book publisher, you know, just in the literary world yeah. from the 60s, 70s, 80s, wow. 90s. You know, like, I mean, he's incredible. He's worked with incredible writers and published some amazing books and i, I mean, would love to drink scotch with your dad oh yeah he, yeah. he i don't know what scotch would, he'd actually probably love that at this point he's a vodka guy yeah that's um, fine he can drink vodka i'll drink scotch yeah he's got some i mean he was in world war ii whoa um yeah which he's, branch he's in the marines wow yeah pacific yep south pacific he was on okinawa and peleliu um which is the last yeah big conflict. yeah and if you watch uh the the pacific, band of brothers the pacific he, oh the that's what i mean piece the pacific to that they do they go right into Peleliu. he knew those guys honestly he knew bob lecky wow look what we just stumbled across yeah. <laughs> every time i'm sick i watch band of brothers wow because my theory is is like way off topic now that if i as miserable as i feel i'm not in a foxhole in the forests, the Ardennes forests of right. Belgium in the winter of 1944 <laughs> with Nazis shooting at me from yeah. 60 yards away. Yeah, things ain't like so bad. My, my, you know, as, as crappy as I feel, it's not that bad. Yeah. And always, it always kind of gets me in the right headspace to sure. endure my sickness. Anyway, well, kudos to your pops, man. He's incredible. He's an incredible human. Uh, so the literary thing, so lyrically, we talked about vo- the people voice-wise that you would, like, that got you into singing. Like, yeah. when it comes to lyrics, who were the people that... You like really got you jazzed about writing your own lyrics, like when uh, you or when you listen to music, like oh man, right? That's the jam. I mean, the big big ones were Randy Newman. Oh yeah, yeah, Paul Simon. I I really grew up. I didn't grow up with a lot of like modern music because my dad was so old. Yeah. Um, but Paul Simon was a important. You know, we we're like Upper East Side Jewish yeah, family. Yeah. Like you can listen to Paul Simon. Um, so him. And uh, I'm trying to think of other people. Like obviously Dylan, but that's just like yeah, that's just canon. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I just read so much when I was a kid that that's kind of where I came from. Yeah, you know the idea of um, storytelling. You yeah, know, my, my sister's a storyteller. It's like it's just part of our family. Yeah, you know. I've been down the uh, the James McMurtry rabbit hole in the past few months. See, I thought I in my mind I went Larry McMurtry. Well, right. I, I've never listened really to James's music. I would highly encourage you to do so. I've always been a passive fan. Like yeah. I like Level Land, which came out way back in the '90s, and I was like, oh, this guy's a pretty interesting writer. You know, yeah. stylistically, it's kind of alti country almost. You know, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I got access to a Spotify account. I don't have my own, but my I got one through somebody. So surreptitious means pirate. We'll, pirate. We, we won't go into that. It's actually not pirated, but we will just set that aside. We'll leave that where it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I was like, for some reason, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to kind of take a dive and see like what else. Like, is there other stuff in there? There has to be. And for I, some reason, I picked James McMurtry, and now I'm like over the moon for James McMurtry. It makes sense. Like I, I've come so far. Like I feel like I've, he's one of our greatest living songwriters. I honestly believe now. I need to check this. And out. that is no small statement. Come, yeah. You know, I don't take that very lightly. Yeah, Randy Newman's not dead. If Randy Newman's not dead. Well, Simon's I, not dead. I would. Not- I, I would put Randy Newman also on that list. I did yeah. a big Randy Newman dive a few years ago. Uh, have you ever got his? Um, he released this big giant box set maybe four years ago, which was uh, the Randy Newman songbook. It's like 85 songs. Yeah, yeah, did it with Mitchell Froome. Right. Solo with, piano. With Mitchell Froome, but yeah. it's all just him and a piano. Incredible. Because like love, you know, you love or hate those records through the 70s and even through the 80s, like production kind of ebbed and flowed and it was kind of sometimes kind of odd. 
But that's when I think of Randy Newman, like that's how I imagine him in my head. It's like mm-hmm. him sitting there with his like Hawaiian shirt and his <laughs> rumpled blazer, you know, with his crazy hair and like yeah. his funny little quips between songs. But yeah. it's, the whole record is that. Oh my God, I have something that I, sh- I shouldn't. Well, whatever. I gotta say, I gotta get it out to the people. Yeah, man. Is this? I'm just gonna undo this. That's cool. He's undressing. Too much buckling. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, feed me this beer, dude. It's delish. Um, I have this recording of him playing Rednecks. Uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, good old boys. Uh huh. Top to bottom, solo piano for Lenny Warnker, demoing Whoa. the entire thing. Five songs that didn't end up on the record. Whoa. Okay, all these songs, just him in a room, playing the stuff down, telling the story. Did you know that there's a whole narrative to it? To us. Good old boy. Yeah. He talks it down through the whole thing. Wow. Johnny Cutler, this, blah, 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 blah. He he just contextualizes all this stuff. It's incredible. I have it in my Dropbox. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I would love to hear that. For the love of I would be honored to hear that. Like I feel like there's there's certain folks... And we all know their names, and that's why we know their names, because they are just preternaturally excellent at that. The Tom Petty, if you look over your shoulder there, yep. looks down on all we do here at uh, the Independence Day World Headquarters, which doubles as my home. Mm-hmm. And like Tom Petty's thing, very different from Randy Newman, very different from James McMurtry, closer to McMurtry, but like, keep it simple, stupid, WWTPD. If you want... Like, I can't think of another artist who sold that many records that's that relatable to everyone who had a consistent level of quality from the beginning until the end. I'll be honest, this, people never agree with me on this, but here's who I think Tom Petty and Bob Marley are very similar. Yeah, I could see that. Artists. Yeah. Yeah. Their clarity of communication yeah. is just like, jump. Yeah. Here it is. Everybody loves it. I mean, I've, I've, I've said gifted a couple times. I'm just going to use it again. Like gifted in a way that very, very few people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why everyone knows those songs, and that's why every the soundtrack to everybody's. I mean, I, I Tom Petty was well into his career by the time I was in high school, mm-hmm. but it was still the soundtrack of my years, just as it was to the generation before me, maybe the generation before that, and subsequent generations since. Yeah, but he's a kind of like he's a folk musician. Yeah, in the real sense. Yeah, you know everything's like Springsteen or. Now he did get to. Now he'd already had these gifts when he did the never-ending tour with Dylan in the '80s, when they toured for two and a half years as Dylan's backup band. But like, what an education! He was smart enough to like not do his record for a couple years and right. tour as Tom Petty or uh, Bob Dylan's backup band, and yeah. for his whole band, what an education! Yeah, incredible. Anyway, all right, let's play another song. What yeah, do you music. got next for us? What's what's next here? Um, this is off a wild ocean of love record I put out. About two years, a year and a half ago, whatever. Seems like yesterday. And you should buy it regardless. Way back. Vinyl copies available, streaming too. Yep, yep. Um, it's called Susan the Cat. Susan the Cat, Ben Jaffe on Independence Day. Come back. We've got a cool musical surprise for you coming up after this. But for now, let's hear this. Susan the Cat on Independence two, Day. Susan the Cat. She lives in L.A. Up in the park by the western gates Where the sands crunch like snails under your feet When the smog lifts you see straight to the sea Well, 
reason she's quiet She don't fuss around much, no I see her most mornings scratching shit up Oh, most times I approach She rebuffs me I don't count on Susan to butter me up No, I pick myself up These days I've been living on the kindness of others The friendship with strangers who open their hearts and their bodies and beings And I must be equal parts searching and fleeing Changing, yes, slowly Give me a kiss and I'll go Susan, she's a loner So don't call, she won't come You can't look in her eyes Cause she's only got one She sits on a pillow Like an Egyptian queen And I give her some space While I bow at her feet Then I pick myself up These days I've been living On the kindness of others Friendship with strangers who open their hearts and their bodies and beings, and I must be equal parts searching and fleeing and changing as slowly. So give me a kiss, then I'll go. Hello, people. My name is Joe Armstrong, host and producer of the Independence Day podcast, among many other things. I make beer, some of which I have served to this week's victim, my guest, Ben Jaffe. Seems to like it. I do. <laughs> would you yes, tell me if you didn't? Um, yeah, I would. That's the big question these days. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I would. I, I would want you to lie. I, I, I like the. Oh, you do. You I, okay. Like well, never let the, away for never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Normally attributed to Mark Twain, but can maybe other people too. Uh, but I've been at that 20 years, so, I mean, the beer thing. Right. So I hope it doesn't suck at a minimum. I can taste your experience. <laughs> That's the, There's our new tagline. There you go. Taste my experience. Taste, taste my experience. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, anyway, uh, it's got a record. You should pick it up, benjaffemusic.com. You can order it through there. You can also stream it at all the streaming places. Pick it up. Are you in record stores? 
Um, Around I, probably town? not at this point. I mean, it's been a couple years, so hopefully they've been sold. Yeah, <laughs> they were there. I bumped into. I was down. Uh, what's the record store that's the bar now down on San Fernando? Permanent uh, Records, Lance. Right? Yeah, Permanent Records. Yeah. I know Lance. Lance uh, Barisi was on our show as a guest oh, at one cool. point talking about for Record Store Day. Uh-huh. We had him on talked about that whole business because he's also from my hometown, Chicago. He used to have a store there too. Now I think he's just here. I see. Uh, but uh, the record thing's back. You know, in a nice way. Sure. You know, there was a period there where it was like oh, only like weird, freaky guys had like basements full of records. Thank God for the weird, freaky guys. Thank God for the weird, freaky guys. Honestly. And girls, too. I don't want to like yep, yep. leave them out. Guys up. can be a gender neutral. Yeah, guys term. is in the Guy Fox lineage of the etymology of that whole concept, which was originally in general neutral, or at least it became general neutral at some point. In any case, this is education on that word. Uh, you pressed vinyl. But you had a label, Truth. right? Did the label deal with all that? No, no, I, the label was me. The label is you, okay. Yeah, Diamond Family Records, baby. Um, yeah, and I, I, I did a lot of things that I did as a result of my experience with Honey Honey that if I was coming at it fresh, I might not have done. Um, right. You know, I was used to things working a certain way and just kind of continued on to a, to a certain degree right. um, with those practices, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't regret the vinyl necessarily, but there's other things that I do and, you know, I, I was just learning, learning process. Yeah. I think it's interesting that since you mentioned the learning process, musicians learn, I mean, everybody learns on the job. Yep. It's a, it's an ultimate in life, a, a permanent thing, but the, as a musician, you learn in a very visible way. Mm-hmm. And now that everything is streamed from the first day you play your first guitar lesson you know it seems like the youtube component of our society and of your music career is a big part of that like you you kind of can't not do it you know what i mean sure so you like you write your first song and like these high school kids put up their first song like when i did that you know like maybe 30 of my friends heard it at a party somewhere yeah you know and that's as far as it ever got those Uh are gone into the ether gone forever for the best Uh you know (laughs) we learn as we go but now man like a young artist comes out and it's like not everybody's Billie Eilish when they jump into this and it's like, ah, oh, they're just awesome or maybe they're talented, but like you got to learn as you go and now everyone can see you doing it. Yeah. And in some ways, I guess that's good. It pulls away the mystique of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's weird, I guess. It's, it's, I'm, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I, I mean, weird or not, I mean, it's weird to us because it's new yeah. to, to us. Um, and it's a crazy thing to think about what it's like to have your entire life digitized. Yeah. Um but we don't know what what the all we all we're living with is our existing relationships and what that means. You know, so who knows the impact or what what it will even represent to people cuz I always think, "Oh my god, it's so crazy. My niece, her entire life is going to be on video." Yeah. You know, but in 20 years, who knows what that's going to represent? You yeah. know, it's, it, so I don't know. I I don't I don't I guess I don't know. I I don't I, that stuff is interesting. Yeah, you know, it just bears discussion. You know, mm-hmm. it comes up a lot on the show how musicians use technology to reach their fans. Yeah, you know, as I was cycling through your Instagram account, say it again. What B J L D J at at B J L D J. Yeah, say it slowly. B E E J E L D E E J. Yeah, making it easy on the old folks. That's, that's yeah, they're not one of my skills. Uh, but I was you know, cycling through there, and you had made you had did something, made a comment about immigrants. Oh yeah, and it started like a little discussion on the page, right. and like now as independent musicians, you know, 
the show is Independence Day, possessive T apostrophe S, but every musician to a certain extent is independent now. Taylor Swift, for all of her handlers, for right. all of her producers, for all of her assistants and all of her money, reaches her fans directly and independently mm-hmm. through the medium of social media. Yeah, what a gift. Huge artist. Yeah, incredible thing. Uh, so now, but we all have to wrestle with what's the comfort, what's the comfort zone for us in terms mm-hmm. of that. Because I, like, I watched you interact with that person in a very respectful way. I forgot. It's funny. That conversation was felt so personal or like intimate whatever right that i until this moment i was like oh my god everyone can see that yeah I could, totally forgot he was a kid right and and well i have no idea who he was or it if, seemed if like a guy I'm, if the one i'm thinking of it was interesting because i usually i susan i got a great lesson from lord of the internet joe rogan who was like don't talk do not engage with these right. people um but every once in a while uh i do and that one felt right because to me, and I don't know, maybe you're listening, dude. It was like a, a young kid. He said at least he was an 18-year-old kid, and he's talking about immigration policy. That's what it was because I had posted um, something d- directing or trying to get people to donate money to an organization that provides free legal counsel to immigrants, You know, which is a fairly bipartisan. T- to me, it's like nothing wrong with ha- whatever, I don't want to get into this now. Yeah, but, it's, well, it's not really the, about the politics. I mean, that's a different not. podcast. Yeah. You know, I have mine, you have yours, um, yep. and it seeps into everything that we do. But this is more about the exercise of interacting with your fans. Exactly. Well, fan or not, who knows? He, he yeah, yeah or, he, he found like a platform and, and something to engage me on. And I, I kind of, I, I talked with him for a while, and it was interesting to see... Or, or at least how it felt to me, which was this is a young dude actually looking for guidance. Right. You know, so if I can just chill out and listen to this kid talk, then maybe we'll we'll get somewhere. Right. Um, and I think we did. You know. Yeah. Know. Like like watching that conversation take place because I can just see it all happen. Mm-hmm. I could have taken place over a week, a month, a night. Who knows? No, this was in over like an hour. But like I, I watched, you know, several posts on there. It wasn't this huge blow up thing? But you know, the kids coming at you like a kid, kind of clumsily, buzzwords, echo chamber. That's what was so interesting. Um, about it. And what I was impressed by, and this is why I wanted to talk about this with you, is that you you continue to play the high road all the way through, uh-huh. which I could almost sense personally from someone from uh, coming from the perspective of someone who cares very deeply about these sorts of issues. Yep. Uh, and others as well is that it's easy to just come back and be like bam and drop the retort I, there's so much of this on the internet when it gets to be that soupy vile cesspool that it is and not all of it is mm. the the uh the shredding and the owning and the like it's all pointless it's very silly and when you take the opportunity and it's hard for me hard for everybody i imagine to play that high road and be like hey like you can keep coming at me with this vitriol, but this is how it matters to me, and that's something you can't take away. Yeah. You can have a difference of opinion, mm-hmm. but you can't tell me whether I'm right or wrong. Especially in here, this is my spot. Yeah, you know, you got your own spot. You can create as many spots as you want. Yeah. Rant till you're blue in the face, uh-huh. maybe beyond. Stay over there and blue in the face. But I was impressed by the way you handled that. Thanks, and uh, you're welcome. And I think. 
I don't know. More people could stand to do that myself. I don't like to, I'm not a rager on the internet. I don't, I'm not interested in those conversations. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to have, I'd love to be able to have a civil conversation. Yeah. Both in analog world and in the digital world. Well, it was a challenge, honestly, because I, my body was going crazy yeah. during this, which was, your body says, tear this person apart, destroy. Right. You know? Um, but that's retaliate. Just, exactly. Defend my pitiful little self, you know? Um, but that's a great thing about having the conversation sometimes online in person, who knows what would happen, but I had a second there hear my body telling me the, the dumb thing to do, shouting the dumb thing, and then listen to the calm voice and yeah. go, go that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, well, kudos for that too, man. Thanks. It's, uh, do you, uh, do you use, we talked about, you don't really tweet, but you're active on Instagram. Yeah. And I think it suits your medium pretty well uh, as an artist. I mean, your position as an artist, yeah. because you're you're a whimsical guy. That's kind of, that came up once before. Like it's fun to just kind of hang with you, Whimsy. because you know you're just uh, I don't want to say actor type. Well, that's a thing. <laughs> but there's uh, you know that I mean, all musicians have the kind of the in jokes and the kind of running jokes and the common threads, like the the lexicon of Spinal Tap and the lexicon right. of all the crappy gigs we played in every town because. Every musician has done that, yeah. and and so we we you know you, you just that's just that's there already. That's like the common language that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but Instagram music has become increasingly a visual medium. You know that's that thing. Would Tom Petty be successful if he came out now? He's kind of a funny looking dude. Sure. I feel like he, in some weird way he almost got better looking as he got older. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger Waters did too. That. Roger Waters was a weird looking guy when he was young. Yeah, but Gilmore's a babe. Gilmore was a babe. Yeah, Gilmore, Gilmore had like that Nick Drake, yeah, yeah, sultry, kind of smoky yeah, British dude. That. But Roger Waters was a funny looking guy. But now, like Dave's old looking. I mean, Roger's old looking too. But like Roger looks pretty good now. <laughs> he's he's aged well. Anyway, not not germane to our conversation. I'm not even sure where I'm going with this. Ben. We're off the rails. I love it. Where do we go from here? Uh, tell me. I guess is there a new project in the works? Like what's happening next? Yeah. Well, I do a number of different things right now. Um, I I'm producing some projects, other people's music. Um, I could I'm, see you be very good at. I could see you being very good at that. I, I really enjoy it, and and I've been lucky this this year so far. I've had two projects, January and February, to to work with, um, and they've been very. Um, let's just like traditional in the way they've been recorded. You know, I, I, I share a studio space with one of my dear friends. Her name's Wendy Wang and she's a pop producer at this point in her career and spends every day in writing sessions with different people, assembling tracks and doing, you know, like incredible work. Um, and this is not what I've done in the last two months is not that at all. It's get in a studio and work it out. Um, while mm. it's happening with a group of people, kind of bandy type stuff. So that's been a real joy. I love doing that. Yeah. Um, and uh, besides that, I'm also working on a film score. Mm-hmm. I've done short films before, but this is my first feature. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, which has been a crazy... It's just a great process. Now, are you approaching it more like... Like when Neil Young scores Dead Man and he's <laughs> doing what he does, that just kind of suits the music. Or are you approaching? Because I know, like Mark Knopfler, who I'm a huge fan of, said that from Dire Straits said that like scoring films, which he got into in the '80s, was the hardest thing he's ever done by a mm. mile. Interesting. 
Um, and, but he like scored it. Yeah. Like strings and stuff. Are you like that into it? Are you doing that kind of approach? Well, there's nothing orchestral on it, but there, it's, this is kind of like small ensemble stuff at the max. But, and it's a wide range of things. I mean, I don't have the skills to orchestrate for, for a large group at this point but it's been i mean i'm such i just love music so much that that um film scoring it just offers these great opportunities you're like okay as much as i can i'm going to make my questions my job yeah yeah you know what i mean so okay uh, arranging four part harmony whatever we're talking about bach chorales right. before and stuff like that um Actually, having a chance and being lucky. I mean, I've I've spent a lot of time developing relationships, and Honey Honey has helped, and all this stuff. To be given the opportunities to do this stuff is cool. Um, but yeah, it's just a chance to learn how to do those yeah, things. And yeah, it is yeah. super challenging. I mean, yeah, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, I've done a little bit. I wish I could do more. I've I've enjoyed it when I've done it. It's a blast. You no, know, it's a kind of a combination of the Knopfler approach and the Neil Young approach, like stuff that's just what I would do Yeah, that just kind of seems to fit and then other times it's like oh lord this needs instruments that I don't play Yeah, and I can score those like I, I can't tell you how many times like oh Jesus I gotta go online and look up what's the range of a viola right I don't know that off the top of my head a real scoring person would just know that Yeah, you know like or what's the range of a cello like I kind of have an idea in my head of where it sits and I know where mm-hmm. the timbres are but like I can't you know I'm not uh, Gershwin had to have that reed invented for uh, Rhapsody in Blue, that, oh that crazy gliss at the beginning. Yeah. It's, uh, it's how it opens. Uh-huh. They, the reed couldn't do that. Wow. So they had to invent a new reed for this piece that he'd written. I was like, I'm not Gershwin, for God's sakes. But like, I, gotta, I can look that up on Google now. Like, I'd, What would you do back in the day? Call up your viola friend from college? I have no idea. Yeah, pretty much. Um, are you, uh, uh, we're going to play a song in just a minute. Uh-huh. It's just going to touch upon all we're doing, we're talking about right now. But what is your music training? Whereas high school, were you like playing? Because you were drums then. Were you mm-hmm. playing in jazz band in high school? Like, did you study in college? Like, where did you get the knowledge that you have? You know, not just the talent that you're your innate talent, but how did you develop it and refine it? Um, I, it's I mean, it's pretty self motivated. I didn't go to college, um, and I I had a wonderful drum teacher when I was a kid. See, I did traditional grip when I just huh? did that. You know what I'm saying? You can see Ben Jaffe sitting here yeah. playing traditional grip. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he he was just like a real jazz musician. For I mean, without totally describing what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy... Um, Heroin and low paychecks? <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, Randy Kay is a wonderful person, had his struggles... He's passed away now. Um, but he he just helped me understand the artistry of it, of music first. So that came in first, but also exposed me to this kind of music, jazz. Um, and I took, I lived in the same town as a college, a great college. Um, and they had, so I was able to take classes at the college sometimes. I took a music theory class. Mm. And that geeked me out. Um, and I just, I just love the stuff so i i dig in as deep as i can by myself i i don't i've never really had a structured study you know mm-hmm. um but but i am maybe because of my dad too exposing me to a lot of classical music when i was a kid i have an interest in this music and i don't have a shame which a lot of people do 
around theory. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of people, I think, who grew up listening to punk music and rock and 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 stuff like that. There's this attitude that right. you're somehow denying yourself something by learning. Right. And I wasn't saddled with that, so I'm. I just pursued that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the stuff isn't that complicated, honestly. The theory stuff isn't hard. I'm not saying that as yeah. someone who like, oh, I'm gifted. I'm not. When it comes to theory stuff, it's just it's just terms for yeah. stuff that you already know. I was just about to say, it's funny that you should say that, because I've known some incredibly talented musicians who don't know, I was going to say another bad word, doesn't know anything at all mm-hmm. about music theory. Yeah. And I don't know if they're even adamant or obstinate about not learning but they just never bothered sure but i was going to say what you just said which is that you know when i used to work with them because i do know music theory i would say like you're already doing that yeah you just don't have a name for that when you play a minor four chord which is a very simple example you're all you're like in your ear i'm watching this guy this this person write and very very talented uh, you're already doing that. You're writing minor four chords into your songs, yeah. and then you're not just taking them from ma- like the, the nowhere man, like major four, minor four, back down to the one or yeah. whatever. Like they're going off and doing other crazy reharmonizations and modes, and like they're already doing it. They're yeah. incredibly gifted. Yeah. But like, dude, learn the name of what you're doing because like sooner or later you're gonna have to like talk to yell at your it. bass player. <laughs> you're doing the wrong thing yeah. or what have you. Yeah. You know. So I don't know. Knowledge. It's a weird catchphrase. Like knowledge is power, but like man. Power, not in a, like, I'm going to dominate you kind of way, but, like, in a way to communicate with everybody else kind of way. Wouldn't you want to communicate with the people with whom you're working? Yeah. I certainly do. Yeah. Super Um, liberating. Anyway, well, that touches on exactly what we're going to do for this last song here. And this is the most, Ben, thank you. This is the most amazing curveball I think we've had on this show in years because I did not expect this. Like usually, you know, we're running down the songs. Like, okay, I'm going to play this song and we're going to play that song. And if there's other musicians, they have a little discussion. We're going to play this after that. And then I hear him going, well, do you, do you want to play the Bach? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's uh, like, Sebastian Bach? Uh, Is this something uh, else? You guys are about to play a Bach, what's it, an invention? Yeah. Is that what it's specifically called? Yeah. And I learned some of these back when I did classical guitar in college. Poorly, I might add. Uh, but tell me tell me why, first and foremost. Like, what why is, we did it? Yeah, why why Bach? You know what You're I a kept... songwriter. You got great songs. Why oh. do Bach? <laughs> I mean, he's a good songwriter, too. Yeah, a little bit. Um, we were talking. I think we were talking earlier about like uh, uh, approaching fundamental knowledge. You know mm. what I mean? Like maybe I can't remember. Um, but uh, it doesn't get more fundamental than that. You yeah. Know? So it's something that Drew and I started kind of geeking on a couple of years ago, and it's just so rich, man. There's so much in there. Um, really has helped me as a guitar player. The biggest thing about it, I'm so he gave me this. Drew said, "Hey, my friend bailed on me to learn this two-part invention. I play one hand, you play the other, because they're piano pieces. So mm-hmm. there's a left hand and a right hand part, and we each pick one. And somebody bailed on Drew, and I was like, I'll do it. Um, so I worked my ass off and got it because I don't, I, especially then I wasn't really fluent at reading music. So just we do them by ear, pick them out." playing and it was incredible like i'd never played music that was that arranged before gotta be exhilarating oh my god it feels so good and it's horror you know you fall off the rails and it's and it's you bring shame to your family like that whole (laughs) that whole thing um and it's honestly performing it live is the most i've never had 
Well, that's not actually true. I've never lost control of my limbs due to nerves before in a show. Mm-hmm. I, we The first time we played this, the Box Street Boys, that's our band, um, I couldn't do it. I, I literally bailed on one of the tunes wow. live, which I've never done before. I just couldn't do it. Um, and classical musicians talk about that a lot. Like Some of them take beta blockers and all this stuff to just manage the tension because it's, it's not like any other music in which if you're playing it in Tom Petty's band or whatever, you can play a wrong note. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Maybe he'll get pissed at you. Yeah, James Brown will point at you and take you yeah, for the $50 fine bucks, whatever, or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, but this stuff, it's like... If you make a mistake, everybody knows it. Yeah. And you might knock off if you're playing something with somebody else. And maybe this is part of the problem is I take it too seriously. That's why I freak out. But, um, you know, it's just a difficult horse to get back on once you right. fall off. And let me tell you, you don't want the ghost of Johann Sebastian Bach haunting you. Haunt your dreams. That's not, nobody wants that. I feel like he's a friendly guy, though. He probably I don't know. Cold. That seemed like a very stern time. Mm. He it was, was cold then. <laughs> it was cold a lot. It's cold in New York City right now. People I nice know, sometimes. but now we have we now have central heat, right, and right, we right. have fleece, and we have down, and we have it's totally buildings. True. Yeah, Bach was probably super cold when he was writing a lot of this stuff. We have electricity for right. God's sakes. Uh, anyway, what a great idea to to throw this in with a mix of songs. Uh, this is a Bach invention, invention number four. That's right. Uh, and this is Ben Jaffe and Drew Taubenfeld, right? Mm-hmm. I got that right? Taubenfeld. That's a good name for like a German Bach playing oh, yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. All right, so this is two Gibson guitars playing a Bach invention on Independence Day. something you don't hear every day not in modern music not on my podcast a bach tune which it's an invention you can't really call them tunes right. it's different normally There's scored a tune there. normally written for piano yep uh played by our two friends here on the show man so cool that was great thank you so much fun and short but you know those uh-huh. things are tough i remember having to learn them myself like we had sore s-o-r-e tudes yep and I had a little footstool Fernando. and all those things man so cool to be legit about it uh-huh. <laughs> you know don't you think uh, yeah man you get to, there's so much to learn from that stuff you know i mean you play your own tune but yep. something you've written but there is especially if you're playing solo there's an elasticity to it yep you know you can double that 
part before you come in. And if you forget the third verse, you can vamp yep. until you think of it and then mm-hmm. play it. But man, when you're playing a Bach thing, so much. everybody knows it uh-huh. <laughs> without a net. Uh, so we're almost done, man. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for, for taking the time me. out and coming down here. Everybody's busy. Uh, you know, it means a lot that people want to come in and talk about how they do what they do. So it's a gift to me. It's a gift to our listeners. And thank you very much for that. But my last question for you today, before you kick you out of here, is so th- I thought of this when I was jogging this morning before we did this. Like I was trying to think of like new and interesting ways to get things out of people, question wise. And I love talking to people. My question for you, Ben, is if you weren't doing music, what do you think you'd be doing with yourself? Oh, dang. And I decided to call it the Marty DeBergy question because like, at the end of Spinal Tap, like by the credits. Oh. He's asking, like, you know, Nigel says he would work at a, he would be a haberdasher, you know? Yeah, I don't, what's right, that? We don't have right. that. Do you wear yeah. black? You know, that kind of thing. And then David St. Hubbins would do those, like, books on tape or whatever. Yeah. Like, what would, what would you be doing with yourself, do you think? Dang. Um, hmm. Let's think about this. Well, I, I speak better Spanish. Yeah? I think that's, yeah, I think I'd make that a thing. Okay. For sure. For, for a gig? Well, I wouldn't have gigs. No, I meant your job oh, gig. Oh, my job We're gig. We're musicians. When we say job, we, we say gig when we God, mean job. Yeah, man, I don't know. I, maybe I could be like a trophy husband or... I like that. Something like that. Just be a muse. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the sound of that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Either that or uh, uh, politics. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, not that. That's our <laughs> other podcast. Stay tuned. Uh, We're going to do the podcast, the, the Gnashing of Teeth yeah. podcast after this. And I, I, this is the last bonus question. We can alluded to this before. We never did get an answer. Do you have a new record of your own in the works? Well, so I'm At working. Some point, I have a new batch of songs that I, I had around for a little while, which I'd seen as my fir- my next record um, when I was writing it, um, and I had a, a kind of a, a specific concept around it, and I'm I've converted that energy into a live show. So I figured I don't quite know how to do this as a record yet. Um, so uh, and I want to start exercising the, uh, these ideas, and I want to do music in LA. You know, I was so mm-hmm. such a touring guy for a while, right. and I'm like, I want to do music for here. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that feel like? Almost like theater. Think think about it more like theater. Yeah, okay, communicating with the community um, in that sense. And so we've been doing this live show. We did the first one in November, and we're doing the second one March 13th at the Moroccan Lounge. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. This yep. week. Yep. On Friday, Friday night. Um, and the show is kind of like a short film smushed with a concert. So, oh, that's cool. Interactive multimedia experience. Multimedia, baby. And, uh, yeah, it's a narrative show. You know, the songs aren't like, I went to the store for a waffle. It, they're song songs. It yeah, it's not like, Sondheim. Yeah. It's not I like, feel like Sondheim, man, when you listen to stuff, it's like they just, it's just like a right dialogue and then they come up with a cockamamie uh-huh. melody to go along with it. With all due respect to Sondheim, well, I've sung it myself. Don't take away West Side Story, though. Yeah. Come on. Um, so the Moroccan Lounge, what time? Oh, geez. I think doors are at 9.30. Um, yeah, uh, and, and so that's where this new batch of songs is and is headed. How long is it, like, if it's an interactive thing? Like, is it like a 90-minute kind of deal? Or Not yet. The okay. first, so we did the first chapter last time, and that took 30 minutes. Okay. Um, now I've added a second chapter. The whole That portion will probably be 45 to 50 minutes, and then I'll play a couple... My songs from another record, maybe I might do a Honey Honey song or two. Sounds ambitious. That's the thing. That's the name of the game. Ben, thank you, man. Thank you, Joe. I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule as a local rock and roll star <laughs> to come down here to the Independence Day World Headquarters and uh, shoot the poop, as they say, man. It's been a blast. 
I hope we can do this at the pub someday. I would love that. I would love that. So, as always, thank you to Ben Jaffe and Drew Taubenfeld. Also to the Independence Day staff, Del Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The indelible Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Thanks, Loke. You're a champ. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be, uh, be sure to check them out. They're awesome. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. And especially in this political season, if you do one thing this week, please be good to one another.